Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. Week we start the third section, which is standing strong because Jesus Christ is coming back for his people. And so I want us to be a people of expectation. We know that God is coming back, that Jesus Christ is coming back. And we need to be waiting. We need to be expecting. We need to be anticipating. Listen to me, young people. I'm so proud that there's so many of the youth here today. I've been hearing my, since I was your age, my grandmother said, Jesus is coming back. She didn't tell me a lie. And I'm not telling you one. And she thought it would be sooner than it is. Peter thought it would be sooner than it was. Paul thought it would be sooner than it is than it was. But the fact of the matter is, at some point, Jesus is coming back, and we're closer today than we were yesterday. Amen. And we should live in such a way as to reflect that truth, both in our life and to the people around us. And so, sadly, though, we live in what, what I would call a post-Christian world. I mean, which, which is to say that the Christian values aren't the predominant values of our society anymore. That they have taken a back seat to wokeism or whatever you want to call it, liberalism or uh, anti-truth. But regardless of what society thinks or what worldview society takes, Jesus is coming back. And because Jesus is coming back, we need to be a people that have the ending in mind. When I know that I'm in the middle of something, but that there's, and it's tough. I can remember when I was in the Army, and I was in the 82nd Airborne Division, as most of you know. We'd be road marching. It'd be July. I went to Fort, Fort Benning, Georgia for infantry school. Got there on the 4th of July. So I was at Fort Benning, Georgia in the middle of the summer. Miserable. And I can remember 12 miles, 14 miles, 20-mile road marches with your road pack on. And we'd walk. And I'd get about six or seven miles in. I just want to quit. Like I just, I'm, I'm done with this. This is the worst experience of my whole life. I've sweat through every article of clothing that I have. I'm just, I just want to go home. Somebody just send me home. And if I thought that that was an an eternity that I was going to never find an ending point, I probably would have stopped. If I thought at six miles there would be 20 miles, at 20 miles there would be 50 miles, at 50 miles there would be 100 miles, at 100 miles there would be a million miles, I would have stopped at six miles. Why do I tell you that? Because don't stop in a six mile. There's an end coming. And so recognizing that an end is coming should strengthen us in the middle. And so I want us to be, we should be people of expectation. Because Paul, or Peter, correction, in verse 7, starts verse 7 like this. The end of all things is near. That's profound. That's declarative. That's not Peter saying, man, I'm hearing rumor that, that the end's coming. Or 
there might possibly be an end date. He's not saying any of that. He is saying the end of all things is near. Now, he's not talking about the end of existence. If you're a believer or a non-believer, eternity is going to happen. Which is why this is so important. He's saying the end is near. When he says the end is near, he means the fulfillment of all the promises in this dispensation, in this time frame. The time of the church will come to an end. And that end is closer than you think. And I tell you, you watch television and you will believe that truth. We've, we've traded morality for sensuality. We have perverted every kind of action. I, I can't even go on. I, go, I guess I could go on and on, but I won't. Right? Because I'm, I'm not going to rant up here. But we have disgustingly destroyed the truth. Not just in America, all around the world. But God tells us this truth through Peter. The end of all things is near. And so because that's true, we need to have anticipation and expectancy of that end. Live your life in expectancy and anticipation of that end. And today, how can we, how can we keep this preparation for what's going to be a split-second rapture? Because if it's coming, and it's not, the Bible tells us that he hasn't told us the time in which it's coming. Acts 1-7 says it's not for you to know. How do we keep that kind of focus? Why do we keep that kind of focus? James 5, 7-8 says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Strengthen your resolve is what he's saying. For the coming of the Lord is near. We need to strengthen our hearts. Strengthen our resolve and in expectation. Jesus is coming. Can I just talk to you from the heart for a minute and tell you I don't want to see anyone left behind. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you so that no one would be left behind. Noah said what he said kind of in jest, but he's absolutely right. Hell is hot, heaven is cool, and you are going to end up in one of those places. And if we don't pay attention, we're going to drift away. And so Peter tells us what an ending-minded people should look like in verses 7 through 11. He says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. 
Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Christ, through, through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He's telling you. Let me, t- let me give you some pointers on what it means to be an ended-minded people. The end is near. Pay attention. Do these things. First thing he tells us is an ending-minded ending minded people are prayerful people. Ended-minded people are prayerful people. Verse 7, the end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit. But don't just be sound judgment and sober spirit. Be those things for the purpose of prayer. Sound judgment literally means just to be in your right mind. You need to be in your right mind at all times, which means that you first means that you have to have a mind fixed on Jesus. Well, that's easy. And we fail all the time. What does a mind fixed on Jesus mean? A mind fixed on Jesus means I walk like Jesus walked. I talk like Jesus talked. To belong to Christ is to act like Christ. To keep a God consciousness. I haven't used that term in this room in a couple of months. But with the acknowledgement, the understanding that Jesus Christ being omnipotent, omnipresent, and all-powerful is literally standing right here. What would you do, more specifically, what would you not do that you are currently doing if you knew Jesus was in the room with you? And I'm not talking about theoretically, I'm talking about practically. He is legitimately and truly in the room with you. Next time you by yourself and you think God didn't see that, or nobody saw that, or that's your private sin, or nobody's going to know if I don't pay this amount of my taxes, or whatever this case is, whatever it is. The Bible tells us we have to be of the right mind. That we are to, according to this, have sound judgment. What does Jesus look like? Be that. That's hard. I know it's hard. Peter knew it was hard. Why do you think Peter told us to do it? If it wasn't hard, we'd do it instinctively. But it is hard. Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Man, that's so good. The apostle and high priest of our confession. It says, therefore. What is it saying therefore about? The next verse, the last verse in chapter 2, talks about how Jesus was tempted in all things. Therefore, know that you can do that too. Keep a sound mind. Don't let the world rattle you. Don't hate because it hates you. Don't love like they love. Love like Christ loved. Keep your mind focused on Jesus. I could say, I could repeat this all day and never exhaust it. That we are to be of sound judgment, to have a right mind, to walk as Jesus walked, to consider Jesus in all things. We have to pursue Christ's salvation and his righteousness. John read its favorite verse, his life verse. 
if you will, is Matthew 6.33. Unless you've changed it on me. But seek first. Everybody say first. first. His kingdom, which is to seek his salvation. Seek after him. And Christ's right. First his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first salvation and keep your mind focused on Christ so that you might be in right standing, which is righteousness. And that's only possible if you have the right mind. And the right mind's only possible if you have that mind focused on Jesus. Oh, man, Pastor Jim, you preach in elementary today. I am. Sadly, the church is preschool. We have forgotten the basic simple truths. Or at least we haven't hidden them well enough to reflect them to a lost and dying world. Amen? We out here with a mind that is anything but sound. Anything but focused on Jesus. When God tells us, when people look at you, they ought to know that you're a Christian because of the way you carry yourself, because of the way you talk, because of the way you mind your business. They should know because you belong to him and you seek his right standing, his righteousness. That's what it means to have a right mind. Secondly, to have a right mind, you have to be a person of humility. Oh. <laughs> What's the purpose of keeping a right mind? Purpose of prayer. You need to understand. We need to understand. We need to understand. Y'all ever have a flipping prayer? Where you're just all praying and you realize about 30 seconds, 45 seconds in or two minutes in. And I'm just speaking empty words. I'm speaking what I've always spoken. It's because we've gotten to a place where to some degree, outside of our right mind, we think that we're self-sustaining. Do you know when you go to prayer, you're seeking the eye, the heart, the ear, and the hand of a sovereign God and expecting him to answer? That should cause you to focus your attention. That should cause you to keep a right mind. I mean, praise God, we have the opportunity, according to Hebrews 4.16. Somebody make sure I'm right. Hebrews 4.16, this is, this is the confidence that we had, that we, we could be confident. We Move into the throne room of grace. I can't remember the first word. Move into the throne room of grace, expecting to receive mercy in our time of need. Confidently. Because this is the truth. We can have confidence to come into the throne room of grace, expecting to receive mercy, in our time of need, as we are humble because of what Christ did, as we reflect who Christ is. Was I right, Mama? Hebrews 4, 16. But that's not it. 
That's not all. He said we're to have a sober spirit. Sober spirit essentially means the same thing as sound judgment, but it attaches one small thing. Sober spirit means paying attention. It means keeping watch. To pay attention because the day is coming. Pay attention because the enemy knows the day is coming. He doesn't know any, any more than we do when that day will be. But let me tell you, he's working harder at making sure we go to hell than a lot of us are, are to ensure we don't. And that's, that's, that's a hard, man, that's hard for a Wednesday afternoon. I'm needing some encouragement, Pastor Jim. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ died on the cross, so it doesn't matter what the enemy does. If you'll maintain good, solid focus, a sound mind, sound judgment, right standing, then you don't have to worry about what the enemy does. How about that for encouragement? Is that okay? But the fact of the matter is, that day is coming. Matthew 24, 42, Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Matthew 24, 39-41 says, one, Two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two will be sleeping, one will be taken, one will be left. Be alert. I'm just trying to rattle your bell a little bit today and tell you, focus, 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 for the end is near. We should be an ending-minded people because the enemy is ending-minded. Let me tell you, he knows what his destiny is. He knows where he's going. And he doesn't want to go there by himself. And he's going to bring you with him to spite God. Or try to. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. There's no idle threat. You know how you don't get eaten by a lion? You pay attention to when lions are around. Right? That's deep right there. You stay in fellowship with God. You stay in fellowship with other believers. Posted this on Facebook a couple weeks ago. You don't, you don't get eaten by a lion unless you're removed first from the herd. So you need to stay in fellowship with God and you need to stay in fellowship with other believers. It's killing me right now. People are saying, man, I'm, I'm staying home because of COVID. Let me tell you, if you've got a physical condition, if you've got some issue as to why you can't, I get it. If you're older and, and aren't comfortable with that, I get it. But if you're going to ball games, if you're doing all the stuff that you were doing before COVID except coming to church, you don't have a COVID problem. You got a lordship problem. Pay attention. Pay attention. Be of sound mind. Be of sober spirit. And we are of a sound mind and a sober spirit for the purpose of effective prayer. We can't pray right if we're unstable, ignorant to divine truth, and indifferent to God's purpose. I can't, I can't pray right 
if I'm double-minded. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You should expect to receive nothing from the Lord. I can't, I'm incapable of proper prayer life if I'm ignorant to divine truth. Can I lay something on you here? The Bible says that angels are ministering spirits unto those who have received the promise of salvation. What does that mean? means exactly what it sounds like it means. Blessings are delivered at the hands of angels provoked by God on your behalf. What provokes an angel? The voice of God. That's why a divine truth and a knowledge thereof is so important in your prayer life. You want to provoke the angels Use the word of God or declare, ask God to provoke them by reminding him of his word is probably a better way to put it. Look, I just don't like the kingdom of y'all's prayer life. Y'all didn't even know. Prayer lives don't go like this. God, if it be your will, I guess it's whatever you want. It's going to be his will anyway. How about you declare the truth? Father God, according to your word, you tell us that anything we ask according to your will, which is your word, you have heard us. And because you have heard us, we have that which we've asked for. And so God, this is what we're praying according to your will. Your word tells us that you know what we need even before we ask and you deliver it as we ask. And so according to your will, your word, this is what we pray for. Your word says that we have healing by the stripes that Jesus Christ took on his back. That is wholeness. Father God, I'm praying for wholeness according to your will, according to your word. You have an impotent prayer life as you have an impotent understanding of God's word. And you have an impotent understanding of God's word as you refuse to remain stable. As you refuse sound judgment as you refuse a sober spirit. That's good right there. Somebody should have wrote that down. Because our prayer life, our ending-mindedness is never about us. Or, correction, it's never just about us. It's about other people. Second point I'd make today is that an ending-minded people are loving people. I like how Peter, he, he moves in three concentric rings here, and you'll see them in a moment. He starts with me. And then he starts with, and then he, he goes to those around me. And then he goes to God. But for now, he says, ended-minded people are loving people. Verses 8 through 11. Above all. <laughs> above all. That means above all. Let me tell you the most significant thing I need you to be doing right now. If you're going to be an ended-minded person, recognizing that the ending is near, that the consummation of all things in the church dispensation during this time, during our period of grace, before Jesus Christ comes back, 
But if you don't do anything else, be fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Man, is that good? That's so good. Let me tell you what that means. Well, I don't guess I really need to tell you what it means. It's just literally what it means right there. But it starts by saying, keep in fervent in your love for one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. Remember I started this thing, keep your focus on Jesus. How did Jesus love? How does Jesus love you? What did Jesus do to love you? Love one another in that same way. Be diligent in your love. Set your faces flint towards your brother and love them, regardless of what they, you think they've done to you. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ demands it of you. He's talking specifically in this verse, verse 8 though, of believer to believer. But he says, be fervent in your love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. That puzzled me when I was first saved because I thought, well, Jesus' love covers a multitude of sins, but how does, how does mine? I don't, I don't have the power to forgive sin. I have the power to forgive offense, but only God can forgive sin as we repent. Right? So notice it's not saying removing. It says covering. Jesus removes our sin. Our love for one another covers sin. And this is how that works. You said something offensive to me. Or I get home on a Sunday afternoon. Somebody said something offensive to me. You know what? I'm going to assume the best in them. And I'm going to allow my love for them to cover what that what was said to me, even if it was on purpose. That's how love covers a multitude of sins. Recognize you need to worry about yourself. Amen. We need to worry about ourselves. Pastor Leonard's love for me has covered a multitude of my sins. And I'll tell you, I have a picture or a piece of paper in my office. Can you hand me that phone, Mom? Pastor Leonard started coming here within our first year. And he does, probably doesn't know I keep, kept this piece of paper or maybe even remember it. But he came here in the first year when I was the worst pastor ever. I wasn't, I wasn't wise in my decision making. wasn't really that good a teacher. My leadership lacked a lot. And there's a hundred reasons why he'd go to a hundred different churches. But a man of his maturity decided to stay here and cover my sin or lack with love and prayer. I tell you, that still messes me up. About a year ago, he gave me this piece of paper. You, you won't be able to see it. 
but it's taped to a picture on my desk. And that's where it stays, on my desk. It's a handwritten... It's a handwritten scrap piece of paper. It looks like he tore off of something. How my pastor was used of the Lord today. Leonard loves you. That's love covering a multitude of sins. Can we do that for each other? Perhaps even the sin that we committed against one another was in ignorance. Most of the people that are offended by something somebody said or did to them, the other person has no idea. Just love them. Because even in his offense, Jesus loved us. Amen? But then he says this too. He says, as each one has received a, I'm sorry, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Hospitable means to love this word, the way that it's used in the Greek, means to love strangers. See what he did there? He said, love each other first. And then be hospitable. Love strangers too. Love strangers without complaint. Man, I'd love them if they'd act right. I'm glad Jesus didn't say, I'd love him if he didn't act right. Or if he'd just act right. See how Peter magnificently, by the power of the Holy Spirit, of course it's magnificent, busts us out of our frame. It's us. It's me first. And then those that God surrounded me immediately with. And then those that God has surrounded us with in our community. He says, love them. And then he continues, and serve them according to the gift that you've been given. That's why it's so important that you, you know what your gift is, that you operate within it. Can I tell you I wouldn't be near as effective? I would be just as boisterous and just as proud. But I wouldn't be near as effective for the kingdom if I sung up here instead of talked up here. I would clear this room out quick. <laughs> but God gave a multitude of giftings. He gave motivational gifts. He gives office gifts. What are you gifted for? Find that and then bless the people around you according to the manifold grace that God gave you. The, the layer after layer after layer after layer of grace that God gave you. The layer after layer of layer of unmerited favor God gave you. What if we layered unmerited favor on the people we know and then layered some more on top of them? And then layered some more on top of them. And then went outside and layered some on top of them. I said layered, not lay on. That would make you weird. But layer after layer after layer. You know what would happen? Those ending, those, the ended-minded people amongst us, the people that did that, would be God-glorifying people. last verse whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God whoever serves is to serve as one who served by the strength of God which supplies which I just talked about so that 
in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Do it all in such a way that God gets the glory because of the work Jesus Christ did in you. But then he breaks off in this. To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Not just the glory. Not only does he deserve the full weight of who he is. But he deserves our understanding that it's his dominion. These are words of old. We don't use dominion anymore. But it means absolute sovereignty. Because it's all his. Because he commands it. Because he directs it. Because he built it and can destroy it. Because he protects it, watches over it. Because he's all sovereign. He deserves that we, through our service, love for one another, and a thoughtful prayer life, maintain an ending-mindedness. Because the truth of the matter is, there's a time coming when the end of all things is near. Amen? Stay focused. Time is short. 